0: The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service, nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
1: Well, good morning or afternoon, wherever you are. This is Christy Crespin coming to you from Highland, California, on the last day of November, November 30th. And we are here this morning or afternoon to discuss the book, The Unseen Minority, A Social History of Blindness in the United States, by Francis E.S.A., initial, Kessler, K-O-E-S-T-L-E-R, copyright 1976 and 2004 by the American Council of the Blind. And uh, we may be having a little slow start this morning. I'm hoping some other folks have joined us. I see that they have. Good. So um, we have as our host this morning or afternoon. I always forget because it's 10 a.m. here in Highland, California. Um, So we have as our host today uh, Herbie Allen. And our streamer is Larry Gassman. Thank you, Herbie and Larry. And Herbie is here to give us the 411 about all the good stuff for participating on this call.
2: All right. Thank you, Christy. And good morning, good afternoon to everyone. If you would like to participate in the call and you are listening uh, on Zoom or would like to come on Zoom so you can do so, It is Alt-A on the PC to mute and unmute, Command-Shift-A on the Mac. If you are on a smartphone, it is on the bottom left, and if you are on a tablet, it is towards the middle. If you're on a telephone keypad, then it is star-six to mute and unmute. If you'd like to raise your hand at any time, do so, and I will acknowledge you when we uh, get a pause in the uh, conversation. Alt Y on the PC, Command Y on the Mac. If you are on a smartphone or tablet, it is under More and just uh, swipe to the right till you get to the raise hand button. And if you are on the telephone, Star 9 will
1: raise your hand. All right. Thank you, Herbie. All right. So we've kind of been spending a couple of weeks for people to get caught up. And I really hope that we can uh, have enough. Uh, discussion on um, chapters uh, eight through eleven, and just a an announcement that I will give at the beginning and at the end. I will be on vacation um, a lot this month, so our only call for um, this uh, time period. Till the end of the year will be today's call discussing chapters 8 and 11, uh, 8 through 11. And then on uh, December 14th, Tuesday, we will be discussing chapters 12, 13, and 14. And 14 is really interesting because it's going to be talking about Randolph Shepard. Um, and, of course, we covered some of that in People of Vision. So this kind of gives a, a little different uh, perspective. Um, so what? Uh, then we will discuss the rest of the book beginning January 4th, which is, of course, the birthday of Louis Braille, which is exciting. And uh, so that will be January 4th. 2022. Is that amazing or what? So, um, as we do, I would like to ask people to talk about your thoughts on wherever you are in this book. What has been brought forward to you? What's what's come to your mind, or things that you you never knew, or you remembered. Uh, I read chapters 8 through 11 this morning again, and I came away, this is my third time reading it, and I still came away with some nuggets. and I shared some of those with my husband this morning and I'll share you what share with you all what he said as well before he went to work this morning. So hopefully we have some hands to begin the discussion on where you are in the book and what's, what jumps out at you, what's spoken to you so far?
2: Currently, I am not seeing any raised hands. Just as a reminder, if you do want to participate by raising your hand, you can do Alt-Y on the PC, Command-Y on the Mac, it is under more on your smartphone or tablet, and Star Nine on the phone. And with that, we will go to Stephanie. Oh, Stephanie,
3: confused. you
2: may speak.
4: Yes,
3: I I do believe that you know. Uh, it uh, see when, people, when uh, you talk about. People who are, you know, uh, blindness. I mean, it, um, it's uh, some people make it like it's a, like it's a. I uh, say it's not a disease. It's 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 just, just a. It's a disability, but you, you, we you, we learn to move forward with our life and expand our disabilities and be able to do things. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, and and um, who's this speaking again? Stephanie. Stephanie, hi, welcome. So, mm-hmm. h- where are you in terms of um, where you've uh, read so far through this book, or have you?
3: Uh, they've. Uh, they it talked about. Uh, it just. It talks about how you know how people how people deal with blindness and uh, different ways to mm-hmm. you know how. And uh, and I believe uh, it's true that. Uh, you you can, you can deal with it in in many different ways by learning Braille and
1: mm-hmm. right. And
3: I, I like that.
1: Good. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Appreciate you. And next we have Larry, Mr. Larry.
0: I do have some comments, and it's fascinating because today we're used to being surrounded. Even virtually by blind people. They're all over the place. You can throw a mm-hmm. rock and hit a blind person. It's just amazing. They're all Ouch. over. Yeah, sorry. Didn't mean to hit you yeah. in the head. But, but I have to keep thinking back to the point in time of, of when this book, not when it was written, but what it talks about initially in in the 1800s and even into the 1900s. and And, and I can kind of identify with some of it, but I remember going to school to kindergarten in like about 1960, 61 and I didn't know I knew there must be blind people around somewhere but I didn't know any of them until I really went to school and until I went to the foundation for the junior blind. Uh, I don't think I went to Braille Institute that early I think I went there as a volunteer in the 90s but earlier on that's how I met blind people and, and blind people had already begun to gather but it's fascinating to look back at the early 1920s when APH was just really getting started and, and the whole concept of blind people could getting together for a common purpose is a fascinating one because before that, a lot of blind people didn't even know there were other blind people floating around. And that whole concept keeps, it keeps growing and growing and growing and growing as you read further into the book. And people begin to figure out real quickly that it, there are strength in numbers and not so much when you're by yourself. And that's just a cool concept to think about that has just started where we are now reading and how it begins to add and fuel fire to later on to where we can really do some good.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I think about how um, I know when I was a little girl, well, I was, I don't even remember if I was in kindergarten yet. I met um, a blind couple, Mr. and Mrs. Valencia. And and uh, I don't remember them. I just re- remember in my mind meeting them. I don't know. How much we interacted. um, And I don't know where they came from. And then uh, at the age of six, I started going to the Foundation for the Junior Blind. And that's where uh, we were called Space Travelers. And so then I met some people, and I hadn't gone, I had just started going to school with blind kids and other uh, kids with different disabilities. Um, so can you imagine growing up and not knowing any other person who's blind? So then, I mean, I don't know, do you guys do this? When I know that there's someone, my daughter or my husband, or someone explains to me, Hey, there's a, someone with a guide dog or I hear someone with a cane or something. I want to know who that person is. And I like pride myself on pretty much knowing everyone I can, but still it's like, who is that? I wonder if I know that person.
0: I go up and talk to them.
1: Yeah, I in do restaurants, etc. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do if I can. And and so can you imagine being in the world and not knowing one other blind person and then we find out that there's people like Robert Atkinson who started the Braille Institute and I believe Robert Irwin right is was blind um from from the American Foundation for the Blind and there's other blind folks and people are surprised because what they're blind and they don't all think alike.
2: And we do have a, another raised hand. Okay, Alan. Okay, Mister Alan Ramos. Hello.
4: How are you Hello, guys? Hello. Good. The reason why I'm reading this book, I find that is a lot of challenges with blind individuals. That's how come a lot of blind individuals try to help themselves and anyone else that is blind because they see the real need for that. True. help other blind individuals, you know, by just reading this book, I think really points it
1: out. It does. It really does. And, and you know, the, 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 some of the helpfulness, even if you didn't want to, like Helen Keller was like, I don't need no stinking talking books. I don't know why other people need them. It's going to take away from Braille. So, but what does she do in, in, uh, in the long run? She doesn't raise money for talking books, but she lends her name behind the idea of the talking book, which then brought other people like Will Rogers aboard. Any other hands? Regina. Regina? Regina?
2: Star
4: um, sixth. There you go. Uh, yeah, I did, it takes a bit. Yeah. Um, I'm coming into this after the fact. I caught the author's last name, the spelling. What is the name of the book?
1: The Unseen and, Minority.
4: Okay, I'm, okay, I'm going to myself again.
1: It's, it's, un, it's available on Bard, the 1976 no. edition, or on Bookshare, the 2004 edition.
4: Yeah, I'm not familiar with all that. If it's in Braille, because I'm a diehard Braille person, oh, then I will try to order it.
1: Yeah, you can order it in Braille. And it's The Unseen Minority, A Social History of Blindness in the United States. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Chanel. Okay, Chanel? Yeah, sorry. Um,
2: I, I don't know if you mentioned, but it is on Bookshare, if anybody has. Yes,
1: the 2004 yeah. version
2: yeah and then the the bard one they still haven't updated to the later version have they okay um i think you know it's so true that we all have a different response we're not alike i mean just so me personally, just because I hear a cane, that doesn't mean, oh, I want to go, you know, talk to that person or whatever. It, I've never been that way. But again, that's why it's like when we encounter sighted people and they say, oh, do you know so-and-so? Or, oh, there's somebody else who's blind over there. It's like, okay, great. He or she's living his her life. I'm living mine. And that's all great.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that was just my thought. <laughs> yes, because we're all different. That's right. We are all different. Okay, anyone else have any um, thoughts on uh, what you've read so far? I guess I'd like to know where everybody is in this book. Have, have you had a chance to read a bit more than last time? Um, I'm finding that it's, it is, it's moving faster. It's getting more interesting. Um, right, right. We actually have, next up is Beth. Okay, Miss Beth from New Mexico.
4: Hi. Hi. Yeah, I'm that way too. Whenever I hear a, a cane or, uh, or a dog, you know, especially if I'm not in this state, but even if I am, uh, I, I would like to know who that person is or like, uh, what gets me about some sighted people is, uh, like, sometimes they all think we all look alike. Like, yeah. I know I look very much like like this lady named Mary. And I've had people come up to me and tell me, okay, my first name is Mary, okay? <laughs> but they've told me, Mary, I thought you had died. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I know who you're talking about, but I'm not her. My I've gotten that,
1: Dad? too. I have seriously gotten that, too. I thought you died. No, nope. that was so-and-so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And
4: I, I kind of think it's funny, but in a way, I don't, you know, because just because we're both, you know, Hispanic, and we're both, we wore our hair possibly the same, and we're both about the right height and weight. and. uh <laughs> We both use the cane, you know. Yeah. And and I just kind of think it's funny. I um, I like the book that I've read so far. Where are you? What, what have um, you gotten up to, Beth? Ooh. <laughs> My book just arrived like about, mm, like about to, uh, a little bit before Thanksgiving, so I'm still in the first, um, in the first chapters. But I, it's pretty good. Okay, I do remember some speed going reading. to see the, <laughs> I know, I remember going to see the Helen Keller Institute, though, um, when I was very young, because they um they told me about it. You know, when when we went to New York, my my aunts and uncles do, would you like to go see? And I thought it was, I thought it was pretty cool. Or the, not the, not her institute, but you know what I mean. Her her foundation and, you know, and I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I guess her institute, I guess you would call it that. Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Thank you, Beth. Thank you. Anyone else? At the moment, we do not. All right, so um, I guess we will, at uh, 19 after the hour, start opening it up to talking about chapters 8 through 11. And please, you guys, chime in. I don't want to be the only one talking. So let me just ask... Um in in uh the Louis Braille chapter what what stood out to you guys in the Louis Braille chapter if you got that far <laughs>
2: There are current. Oh, Larry has his hand raised. Yes, Thanks,
0: uh, I was just trying to figure out a way to make him say, "Oops, I lied," and I did it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, you know, it's the, out of all the things that Louis Braille did, I, I am marvelled sometimes at his complexity. And how he figured things out. Now, obviously, he had some feedback and had some help from people. But to construct the Braille system that we now have today, uh, and and there may I think there were other prototypes and others that were people were working on something like that. I believe, I can yes, be wrong. But I believe a lot, quite a few. But he actually got to the point where he pretty much gave us what we have today. And to build degrees or degrees of elements of the system upon elements of the system you know uh dots one through j you know the first 10 letters of the alphabet and then continuing on from them there i mean that's somebody with a pretty good analytical mind to figure out ways in which this would work using the least amount of keys because it's not a qwerty typewriter or anything like that it's a it's a small group of keys and to build on top of build on top and build on top of what had come before i think it's just a fascinating idea and i'm not sure that i would have ever come up with it but but so he was a a pretty ingenious person
1: thank you stephanie stephanie
3: Yeah, uh, it is amazing that, you know, Louis Braille uh, was able to invent the Braille code in order for people to be able to learn to read and write Braille. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and the uh, only bad thing was when he was like 14 years old. I mean, uh, I, I think it, it, it is, he, he was in school, but he had to leave the school because of some circumstances that happened.
0: Right. You know,
1: with his with his dad or his, mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah. yeah, so he had been in the village schools, and when he was eleven, he went to the school in Paris, and at that time they were reading uh, embossed volumes of print and can you imagine the intellectual mind that he had to say? Okay, well, so this other—I don't remember—and I didn't remember last time I mentioned this guy that did the code. That was uh, uh, was two dots wide and four dots deep. Um, yeah. Tall, four cells. I mean, you know, so he split it in half. He taught it to all his all his you know all the all his friends and then began teaching it to all the students as he became a professor well, and yeah, that's
3: good i mean i mean uh,
1: and he only lived to be 43 years old He had some lung and bronchial concerns that made it difficult for him to even lecture. And and, and that's when he died. Um, Hmm. Can you imagine what would have happened had he lived? And the other thing that speaks out to me, and I don't know if you all think about this, but what would Louis think if he read UEB today?
3: Hmm, I don't know.
1: He'd probably
3: he'd probably learn it, you know. Uh, <laughs> he'd probably think it'd be pretty amazing if he was able, if he was able to be alive and 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 be able to correspond with that.
1: Yeah, I think he would embrace it. I think he would because it's it was in the in the moving forward, which is why he began trying to work on this this. Uh, braille uh, code in the first place is because he was tired of the inertia. Oh my God, can you imagine how tired the first of all, how huge those books were and I bet they were not of small size. Um, I just keep picturing um, large, thick, heavy I, I have a friend who was telling me that, um, that she's reading um, a textbook that I, of, of a program I coach for regarding lifestyle um, changes. And she was saying how heavy the book is for her. Oh, gosh. And I think about how heavy these Braille books were for, uh, because remember being a child? Do you guys remember how heavy the Braille books were for us as
0: little kids? Oh, yeah. And the the materials they were kept in when they mailed them to you. They were lethal. Yeah. They were. Yeah.
1: So I can just picture Louis Braille with this gargantuan, heavy book going, there's got to be a better way. And um, and then they talked about uh, Braille grade one and a half in America, and how Europe was so much ahead of us in terms of uh, Braille, in terms of Braille code. And um, after um, the Braille Authority of North America, BANA was formed. Um, how um, when they began uh, addressing upgrading Braille, how we fought, I fought it. Oh, my God, I'm never going to learn. This is stupid, this new stuff. But can you imagine us reading grade one and a half Braille for school and for literature? No. Yeah. I think I started difficult. with grade
0: two in school.
1: Yeah, we, we, did. we did. Yeah. But can you imagine? No. Had we not moved no, to grade two, how nation would have been in a t i o
0: n. I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine how. See, from right now, I live in an apartment with John, and space is not yeah, at a premium, a premium, but it's 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 pretty close to that. I turned down mm-hmm. uh, somebody asked me if I wanted a Braille Bible the other day, and I said no, I wouldn't mind it, but I, I don't have the space. Yeah. So I have, mm-hmm. I, I'm have i taking them online and trying to see if I can download them that way or on the phone, but I don't have a space for a Braille oh, Bible. I, I have
3: a Braille Bible. I can't believe how big it is. Yeah, but they're huge. I have no idea you, how big
0: it is.
1: Can you imagine using the old styles of writing and having a Braille Bible? Oh, um, uh, no. <laughs> or I remember the dictionary. Guys, remember going to school and seeing the Webster's Dictionary for the first time?
0: I remember coming home from school, and a friend of mine had copies of the Encyclopedia in Braille, and I couldn't believe how big those things were.
1: That was the thickest book yeah. I had ever seen. What are they? Four inches? Three <sighs> inches? Four inches?
0: <laughs> I never, I never checked back then, but they, they got to be at least.
1: They were. They were. 36 volumes, the dictionary was 36 volumes, and the last volume was a small volume. I remember that. Um, okay, so um, there was a war between um, several people and several different types of Braille Um, In America alone, we had the Boston type, which was uh, Samuel Howe. We had the New York Point, which almost won out over Braille. And I think to myself, I'm not sure how that would have worked. But Lavender, um, who I don't know if any of you guys remember the Lavender Braille writer, Um, the plastic braille writer, (laughs) Um, he opted for the braille code because of the uniformity of the braille code over that of the New York Point. Can you imagine learning um, letters based on the popularity of the letters? So a T had way fewer dots than maybe the j um gosh to me that just my brain can't wrap around that i guess it's like scrabble points (laughs) you can get the x or the j or the q or the z right and alan has his hand raised okay alan
4: yeah, the Slate and Stylus when it did come out, you all know, I guess it was from the early beginning of
1: Braille, uh, for the Slate and Stylus. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, it came out before the Braille riders did. Yes.
4: I just wondering all the equipment that was developed, you know, during that time and after during the 40s and the 50s. What was being used in schools then, you know, as it is of today.
1: Uh huh, and and so um, you know the Slayton stylus that was also a takeoff from the from the night code, yes. um that was um introduced and and from which Louis Braille took the the dot system. Um, but I think that it was it was a little different. Um and The other thing, uh, a couple of things that I kind of gleaned from reading this morning, again, like I said, third time's a charm. Um, Transcribers hand copied Braille with the slate and stylus. That to me is amazing. When did you all... Get introduced. We if do you actually did. have another raised hand, I wasn't sure if you were done. Honestly. Yeah, I did, and I want to ask this question as a, as a aside. When when did you all, if you did, learn the slate and stylus? Okay, so who's
5: our next hand? Nelly. Nellie? Good morning. Good morning. Um, I learned the slate and stylus um, at age fourteen, and. Um, um, I, um, um, since I had really good partial vision, um, in my left eye, um, you know, it was the practice back then not to teach a child Braille, even though if you have an eye condition that could be progressive, they didn't have the uh, forward thinking to to prepare you. Correct. So, you know, when I was at the point where I couldn't um, see print then you know they were scurrying around trying to figure out so i went to a private um, i went to the the jewish braille institute in new york and they taught me braille and i learned it um, i learned it in six months uh, through grade two Mm -hmm. remember my friend um, she showed me the braille cell before i started learning it Uh, she showed me the braille cell um, in her backyard in the snow. And oh, how cool! She made dots in the snow and showed me this is what it's like. How fun! I know. And so after that, um, that's that's when I learned it. But um, thinking about the book um, and how incredible it was that um, all of these volunteer associations of women who um, you know, really had an interest and a drive in transcribing books, and how tedious it must have been using a slate and stylus until such time as um, um, braille embossing machines became available that they could use. It was a lot of work. Yes, and there were many, many people and, and uh, in various organizations that then turned into the the Red Cross, um, you know, handling the the transcribing uh, so that uh, people could have uh, books to read. So that was um, something that I I learned. And uh, the other thing that I thought was uh, of interest was that uh, the focus was on educational material for children. And uh, there was, um, uh, very short, um, um, you know, there was a lack of of um, reading material for adults. I mean, there was some, but there was very few. And so, the collections that existed in various libraries, um, the patrons went through them really quickly and were left with, you know, a vacuum of nothing of interest to read. So and then, and then they made it. As if blind people weren't interested, right? Right, because then since there were no patrons, they figured blind people didn't want to read. And they totally, you know, uh, they employed some false logic there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, um, so it was really important that people, you know, fought for the, you know, for the right to have uh, Braille to read and uh, having it all come about. Thank you. Yeah, in um,
1: in basically, not much time elapsed between the time of the unified Braille code as uh, the reading code in the United States, and um, and I know that they um, American Printing House and other uh, other printing houses would. Would create books in New York type, and um, and braille, and possibly other uh, codes such as Moon type, which was the the cutting off of of uh, extraneous legs and tips and whatever of the alphabet. It, I never, I, I felt it, and I just never could really understand it. Um, And it just felt so much bigger than Braille. Um, But um, between 1917, I guess, is when uh, Braille code became the norm in the United States, um, which had uh, happened way earlier than that in Europe. And 1935, when the first talking books came out, that's not really a whole lot of time, and I was I I was laughing at the different um, amounts of monies that were given, you know, like five thousand dollars, and then basically millions of dollars in 1972, um, because of the demand. And another a thing that I kind of was you know like pondering is. You know, first they they wanted us to be, you know, learn the Bible, learn religious. And and I love the Bible and I love my religious materials. But um, basically, not until the late 60s did they come out with, I guess, (laughs) X-rated reading materials. Another thing is that in 1952, children's books were allowed to be um, recorded. And, um, and, and I think about my life. no, you know, um, I began listening to books. I remember reading um, in Braille. It's funny. Tommy and the Cowboy, or something like that. Um, and uh, and my first talking books were Curious George, which was um, which was like they had sounds of the of the horn and the wagon and um, different sound effects. Um, those were my my two earliest memories that I may have had some before, but those are the ones that kind of stuck with me. Um, And I began using the slate and stylus when I was in fifth grade and I hated it. And of course, anyone who knows me knows that I said something and my teacher said, I'm sorry, I have to teach you this. It's a part of my unit to teach you and you need to learn it in order to Past the fifth grade. So um, I'm glad she taught it to me. Thank and just you, Mrs. Fowler. So
2: do have
1: two raised hands.
2: Okay, go ahead. Larry. Larry?
0: I remember using the slate and stylus in Whittier, California at Lake Marie oh, School. Lake Marie. David Cady was my braille teacher ah, at the time. Do yes. you remember David Cady? Yes. And and I don't remember whether the Slayton stylus came first for me or the $90 Braille writer. But maybe they came jointly together. I don't remember. But I remember, you know, he put the Slayton stylus in front of me and said, okay, you need to have a good appreciation for the Braille cell. And as a kindergartner, I asked, what does appreciation mean? And he said, You'll, you have to know at least how to use it Whether you use it in years to come, that's certainly up to you. But we need to show you what a Braille cell looks like. And it's one thing to feel the Braille cell. It's another to actually navigate using the stylus because you have to punch each particular hole based on the letter combinations that you need need to put in on paper. So I learned it. I think I had a braille slate, a board braille slate, for years. Oh yeah, um, and I even had some of the the the, the pocket slates, the real short ones, okay. and the light ones. Uh, and after a while, I didn't use it as much, and I began to increasingly use the braille writer more and more. But that helped me understand what a braille cell was, so that using the braille writer and, and now the L braille today, I know exactly where. The, what, what, how my fingers actually work towards pressing specific keys to make dots, etc. So I learned it and I didn't necessarily always appreciate it because I didn't use it as much. Most of what I did, especially when I was in junior high school, was was the Braille writer because it was easier, quicker, far quicker. Although I know some people who were pretty quick oh, using the goodness. slate and yes. stylus. My gosh, they were as quick with that as I was with the Braille writer. Yeah, It was amazing, but but I'm glad I, I wasn't glad then, but I'm glad now that I at least learned the basic idea behind it.
1: Yes, very much so. Thank you. I learned Braille using a muffin tin with ping pong balls. And again, I'm not sure if that was in kindergarten or if that was under the influence of Mrs. Fly, and I don't remember what her first name was, and Mr. Katie. At Lake Marie,
0: I don't remember her first name either. Yeah,
1: and you said there was a second hand. Actually, there's two more hands now. Two more? Okay,
4: go ahead. Beth. Beth. six? I learned using. I learned Braille using a um, a marble board with six dots and and six little marbles like that. I learned the Braille cell. And then I learned the Slayton stylus in um, uh, in third, second or third grade in in the UK because a lot of their a lot of their kids we uh, we used to go to public school in the mornings and then a resource teacher would come in and teach us in the afternoons. But then uh, when I got back here, I didn't use the slate and stylus too much anymore till, till the ninth grade that I went to blind school and I really I really by then had forgotten how to use it and this teacher says I mean not forgotten all the way but this teacher says right. I'll give you this one semester to learn how to use it again and then uh, you can't use your braille writer in the classroom. Oh. She was our Spanish teacher and I'm like oh man okay and I be, I did become pretty proficient at it and I since I do live in an apartment, I kind of like it better than the braille writer in a way, because um, it's not so heavy, mm-hmm. and um, and you can take it with you anywhere you go. I had a postcard slate and all kinds mm-hmm. of slates, you know. Mhm. Yeah. So you're pretty proficient and, at it. And then, uh, you know, another another reason I didn't like it. Well, a friend of mine told me. Cause I didn't really like to use my cane a lot either. And she goes, you know, she says, uh, this is when we were still in Catholic school. She says, you know, um, we don't like, we have to function in supposedly their world, but you know, we got something they don't have and they can't do anything about it. And you know, that's what really encouraged me to use my cane and like my, my slate and stylus too. Was she blind too? Uh, yeah, she was. Well,
1: she yeah, uh, she was in a in a different grade, but she was blind too. And I think if I would have heard something like that growing up, I think my attitude would have been way different toward the cane and the slate. Yeah, I like, like that. I said, I, I hated, to. despised being mainstream. Oh, god, I yeah. hated it. Yeah. I, I get to instead of I have to. Yeah,
4: what a difference. And that's what, that's what it, mine was like. I have to be here. I don't want to be here. Yeah. But I, I'm proud of one thing. I really learned how to fight like Muhammad Ali in public school. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes. people used to tell me, well, they pick on you, pretend you're his daughter. Because they knew I liked him. And I'm like,
2: yeah, uh, that's
4: cool. Yeah, that's funny.
2: Okay. Thank you, Beth. <laughs> Okay. All right. And I do, do apologize. I forgot to give you a time check earlier, but just so you know, we have fourteen minutes left yes. and Stephanie has her hand raised.
1: Okay. Go ahead, Stephanie.
3: Yes. Um yeah, I do remember learning how to read how to read and, and write braille with the with a braille writer. Uh uh the the slate stylus is pretty good. Uh, sometimes one of the slate stylus, you try to press the two and the four down and sometimes it, it gets stuck. It don't want to it don't want to punch.
1: Yeah. Sometimes that happens. I I have some really interesting labels on my jewelry that I didn't redo and wrong wrong cells were punched. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Stephanie. You're welcome. So does anyone want to comment on the um, Braille Institute versus APH information that we learned from this book? The Braille Institute is important for people in California because we grew up with the Braille Institute in Southern California, and Robert Atkinson founded the Braille Institute in 1929. What I noticed, if there are no hands, is that he made a lot of claims and didn't follow through with a lot. And then he would act like he was befriending APH just to turn around and basically proverbial stab them in the back um, with his next um, statements that he had made Um, braille institute was supposed to have um, developed um, a a retinator or something like that um, and they had these machines called the stereotypers, which I thought was interesting uh, for talking book machines. Um, and several different uh, models were attempted to be made, um, but the the um, strife between Robert Adkinson and uh, Robert Irwin, um, you know, um, in 1921, uh, Atkinson was placed on the uh, board of AFB as a um, basically a non agency, a private agency um, representative. And he basically poor mouthed himself and tried to get his trips paid for. Uh, and so he was uh, taken off of the AFB board in 1924. And that was even before he started the, the Braille Institute in, as we know it. Um, he, so he fought with Irwin. He fought with um, APH. Um, he said that, you know, that they were developing things that they weren't. Um, and the same kind of thing happened. He um He was upset that he said that they had a monopoly um, at APH and that they wouldn't give the smaller businesses uh, um, any business. But then he got some business and said it was good. And he, he was a very interesting person that you kind of didn't know where you stood. Um, it's interesting the Braille Institute has done what it, it, it is doing today. Um, and it's interesting to see the differences, how the Library of Congress worked and fought and then worked with um, American Foundation for the Blind. And you can see all of these little tiffs going on throughout these chapters. Uh, So any last comments or thoughts on chapters 8 through 11? Because we are definitely moving on to 12, 13, and 14 discussion on the 14th. And this will give people a chance to read it. Any other discussion? Last thoughts on chapters 8 through 11?
2: And I know we've had one or two new people come in here, one or two new people. So I remember Alt-A on the PC, Under-More on the smartphone. Alt, I'm sorry, Alt-Y on the PC. And with that, Stephanie. Stephanie? Star-6, Stephanie? Yeah. Okay, you got yeah,
1: it. Yeah,
3: uh, yeah I do like the that history you know uh, of you know what took place 1920 um, that that sort of thing and uh, and and uh, the history of it uh, i I enjoy learning about history <laughs> uh,
1: you know thank you Okay, does anyone who hasn't spoken yet have anything you want to say in this uh, next few minutes? All right. So the titles of the next chapters... Oh, I do want to say something about chapter 11. If you don't read anything else, read chapter 11. Um, Somebody's having a problem with muting. Um, But if you don't get a chance to read anything else, read chapter 11 on the Beloved Voices. I was astounded. I remember Eugenia Rawls, and I remember Alexander Scorby, and there may be a couple of other ones that I remember, but um, they paid um, actors $30 an hour, which that wasn't very much money for, uh, for them, but that was actually quite a bit of money for, you know, the time to read. Um, and some people said that they hated British voices and that women's voices were just too much. And so people complained or loved voices way back since the beginning of Talking Book Time. The other thing is that when they first started making talking books, they used wax uh, cylinders, and if there was a mistake made, they had to stop, trash it, and do it all over again just by one mistake,
0: Yep, that was the same way in in recording radio and doing radio shows, the people would do the shows 1430, they would be finished, and then they would say, oops, there's a mistake in the wax or it didn't work, and they had to do it all over again.
1: All over again. And and so based on and how we how we get things today, and even then, you know, looking at she talked and Francis talked about until nineteen seventy-two. But I'm, you know, looking at okay, so between nineteen seventy-two and this year—that's fifty years. We don't have history of what happened with Braille code, or talking books, or um, um, Braille Braille writing, um, or kind of developments, technological developments for fifty years. If anyone can find a book that talks about these things, please let us know. Um, so. Um, Chapter Twelve is called I'm going to turn my speed down
2: Um,
1: A Chair, a Share in the General Welfare Do Blind People? Constitute a special class in total, entitled to special social protection. So that's chapter 12. Chapter 13, The Showcase of the Blind, Give a Man a Fish, Seven Ancient Hebrew Province of the uh, ancient Hebrew proverb proverb we have about four minutes, right? Um, and so this one talks about basically teaching blind people how to help themselves. And then chapter 14, the workshops. Um, so we begin talking about blind employment and blind workshops. And even though we do have um, have heard about National Industries for the Blind um, and other uh, attempts at employment of blind people, um, this is a chapter that will focus on it. Um, so then on January 4th, we'll be talking about Chapter uh Chapter fifteen, the Magna Carta of the blind, um, the Randolph Shepherd Act. Chapter sixteen, the war blinded World War One. Chapter seventeen, the new breed. Um, chapter eighteen, the three wheel cart. So we'll. We'll cover those kind of chapters together. And then we'll go into mobility, the key to independence. Chapter 20, the watershed years. Chapter 21, little things that make a big difference. Chapter 22, one world. Chapter 23, the birthright of every child. Chapter Twenty Four: The Ever Changing Children. Uh, and um, two minutes. I'm trying to think of how to the um, um the loneliest people. Chapter 26, The Open Channels. Chapter 27, The Road Ahead. And so um, we'll be covering all of that. So that's quite a bit of of groupings together. So we'll cover those um, beginning in January. So um, please read through. Chapter 14, again, January 4th, will be. Uh, we'll start covering Chapters 15 through 27. Um, the next uh, discussion group will be on December 14th. We will cover Chapters 12, 13, and 14. We will be off for the rest of the year and begin again on Louis Braille's birthday, January 4th. Uh, I would like to, again, thank you, Herbie, for your hosting. Thank you, Larry, for your uh, streaming. And thank you all for uh, the discussion that we had today. And I look forward to our discussion on December 14th. The Unseen Minority, A Social History of Blindness in the United States by Frances, F-R-A-N-C-E-S. Initial A, Kestler, K-O-E-S-T-L-E-R, copyright 1976 and 2004 by the American Foundation for the Blind, available on Bookshare and BARD. Again, this is Christy Crespin on November 30th. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.